It is Thursday, November 3rd, and this is People Every Day. Hey there, everyone. Janine Rubenstein here with you once again from NYC. There's a lot to get to today from Kyrie Irving taking ownership of sharing a post including anti-Semitic comments and imagery, but stopping short of apologizing to the true crime story Kim Kardashian has put herself in the middle of to another development in the James Corden drama that just won't quit. Like I said, a lot to get to. So let's kick things off with what's been bubbling up out there in the world today. The Prince and Princess of Wales are back on the royal clock. After taking a break from public outings for the past few weeks to spend time with their three children, Kate Middleton and Prince William stepped out in Scarborough earlier today to launch funding to support young people's mental health. They plan to meet with local organizations that will benefit from the funding created from a collaboration between the Royal Foundation of the Prince and Princess of Wales and the Two Writings Community Foundation. Now, Amanda Barry, CEO of the Royal Foundation, said in a statement, Ensuring that young people have access to a wide range of mental health support is something that the Prince and Princess of Wales feel extremely passionate about. Tackling the stigma around mental health and ensuring that help is there for those who need it continues to be one of society's biggest issues. That's the truth. While this marked the royal couple's first outing together in some time, Prince William has had a busy week. On Tuesday, he attended the 10th annual Tusk Conservation Awards, supporting the organization he's been involved with since 2005, shortly after graduating college. And yesterday, the Prince of Wales participated in a roundtable discussion on the development and acceleration of African-led conservation at St. James's Palace. With King Charles appointing his first prime minister and, and William and Kate making the rounds once again, it seems like the royal family has finally settled into their new roles since the passing of Queen Elizabeth. Three-time NBA champion Dwayne Wade is in a legal battle with his ex-wife, Savon Funches Wade. Funches Wade filed a petition objecting to legally changing the name and gender of their daughter, Zaya, alleging that the former NBA star is, quote, positioned to profit from the change and expressing concern that he, quote, may be pressuring Zaya for financial gain. The former NBA star and his ex-wife divorced in 2007 while he was still in the prime of his career. Wade first spoke publicly about his daughter coming out as transgender in 2020 on an episode of Ellen and noted that his child had decided to go by the name of Zaya and be referred to by she, her pronouns. According to court documents, Zaya's mother is pushing back because she's claiming that her ex-husband is, quote, positioned to profit from the minor child's name and gender change with various companies through contacts and marketing opportunities, including, but not limited to, deals with Disney. Funches Wade further alleged that the Miami Heat legend, quote, may be pressuring our child to move forward with the name and gender change in order to capitalize on the financial opportunities that he has received from companies. Funches Wade is asking the court to let Zaya make the decision herself when she turns 18 or the, quote, age of majority in two and a half years. She also claims that, quote, there will likely be media pressure on the minor child to make the change. This isn't the first time Funches Wade has tussled with her ex-husband in court. Back in 2010, Funches Wade filed a lawsuit alleging that Wade's relationship with Union, Gabrielle Union, caused her and their sons emotional distress. At the time, Wade called the filing baseless and meritless, according to ESPN, and the lawsuit was ultimately dismissed. It is also worth noting that Wade and his wife, actress Gabrielle Union, have been vocal in support of Zion 
Maya since she came out to them in 2020. I get wanting your child to make decisions on their own, but it feels like she has, right? Zaya has already changed her name, pronouns, and appearance to better reflect who she is on the inside. And let's not forget that Dwayne Wade is already worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So the idea of him taking this step as some sort of money grab feels far-fetched. But no matter what happens, I'm just rooting for the best outcome for Zaya and the whole Wade family. And now, let's turn our attention to Kim Kardashian's new true crime podcast that's dredging up some painful memories for two victims. On February 13, 1994, Quinita and Quentin Reeves were six and four years old, respectively, when they witnessed a horror that still haunts them to this day. A gunman entered their cousin's house, shot them, and killed their aunt, their cousin, and her daughter. It's a traumatic night they want to leave in the past, but now their story has new eyes on it because of the Spotify podcast hosted by Kim Kardashian called Kim Kardashian's The System, The Case of Kevin Keith. Across eight episodes, the reality star who's taken on prison reform and overturning wrongful imprisonments as her personal mission scrutinizes the case and argues that Kevin Keith, the alleged gunman, wrongfully ended up in prison. This podcast has reopened old wounds and despite any statements otherwise, Quinita and Quentin say, we saw him do it. There's a lot to get into here, so joining me to do that is People staff writer KC Baker. Hey, KC, welcome back to the show. Hi, great to be here. Well, let's go into the details. Before the gunman entered their cousin's house, Quinita and Quentin said he was a friend of their dad's, right? That's right. Quentin and Quinita both knew who Kevin... Keith was. Quentin had said to me, we all knew him. He was my dad's friend. They had seen him around their neighborhood in Crestline, Ohio. The shooting took place in Bucyrus, but Quentin and Quanita knew Kevin Keith from Crestline. Quentin had said it's a pretty small town, so everybody knew everybody. Got it. So Kevin was convicted three months after the shooting, and later he was sentenced to death. He has unsuccessfully tried to appeal his case many times, but in 2010, then-Governor Ted Strickland commuted his death sentence to life without parole, which gave him hope that he could one day be freed from prison. And Kim Kardashian is hoping that is the case for him as well. So what is she arguing here? One of the reasons she is taking a fresh look at the case is because Prosecutors never presented any physical evidence linking him to the crime, is what she says in the podcast. And according to her, she doesn't think Keith was given a fair shot. Now, she's been in touch with Keith, who is being held at the Marion Correctional Institution in Marion, Ohio. In a tweet, she said, I had the pleasure of meeting Kevin Keith through a video visit and was so impressed with the amazing programs he created in prison to help others inside better themselves. So much evidence has been uncovered proving Keith's innocence. I hope justice is served soon and he is released. So Quinita and Quentin want Kevin to stay behind bars. Some people have pointed out over the years that Quinita said a man named Bruce came to the house. Both siblings remain steadfast that they know who the gunman was. So it's been nerve-wracking for them every time Kevin tried to appeal. But now that Kim Kardashian is throwing her support behind him, they say it's scarier than ever. Correct? In addition to the physical wounds they sustained from the shooting that 
took three of their family members. They've also grappled with anxiety and depression and PTSD in the years following the shooting. And the thing is, they are certain beyond belief that it was Kevin Keith who came to the door that night and did the shooting. Juanita was six years old when this happened, and she was in the hospital when police questioned her about it. Keep in mind, she never testified for the trial, and neither did Quentin. So what they said didn't have any impact on his conviction. But what she told me is, I have told you the same story I told them when I was six. And the whole thing about Bruce, I may have said it was Bruce, but the picture was Kevin. I knew it was his face. I just got the name mixed up. You can mess up somebody's name, she said, but you can't forget a face. I emailed Crawford County Prosecutor Matt Crawl, and he said the following in an email. In the 28 years since Kevin Keith's conviction in 1994, the Crawford County Court of Common Pleas, the Third District Court of Appeals, the Ohio Supreme Court, the Ohio Parole Board, the Federal District Court, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the U.S. Supreme Court have reviewed the trial testimony and any purported new evidence and have found overwhelming evidence of Keith's guilt. Because of these findings, no court has found it proper to disturb the unanimous verdict of the jury to whom Mr. Keith was tried. So it is going to be very difficult to prove that he did not do this. Such an interesting story. You can feel the weight on both sides of this. We will be keeping an eye on this story and we'll continue to report on any new developments. Casey, this was a tough one to discuss and I appreciate you coming on and walking us through it. Thank you so much. Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving is no stranger to controversy on and off the court. Last week, the NBA star tweeted out about a documentary deemed to be anti-Semitic. Yesterday, Irving and the Nets announced that each will be donating half a million dollars towards anti-hate organizations. This all in the wake of Kanye West losing his endorsements for anti-Semitic comments. After the break, we're taking a deep dive into the former NBA champion's controversial behavior. But first, James Corden opened up about how emotional it will be to leave his post at the Late Late Show. But not everyone is ready to move on and look ahead just yet. With the owner of New York's Balthazar speaking out about Corden once again, it seems like the late night host is eager to change the narrative already. We've got the latest installment of the Corden incident after the break. Stay right there. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam.
We are back. And yesterday, James Corden, host of CBS's Late Late Show, admitted that it's going to be, quote, beyond emotional for him when he leaves the show next spring. At the premiere of his Amazon Prime series, Mammals, Corden told people, quote, I'm worried about being too emotional. I'm worried about crying too much. But at the same time, I just got to take a breath and know that there's a lot to do between now and then. And at least... One of the to-dos between now and then is finally putting the Balthazar incident behind him. As we've covered extensively on this show, after Corden allegedly yelled at the wait staff at New York's Balthazar restaurant, the owner, Keith McNally, announced on Instagram he'd banned Corden from his restaurant. The actor then reached out, apologized, and the ban was lifted. Then, in a New York Times interview, the actor claimed, quote, he didn't do anything wrong, which frustrated McNally and others. McNally took to social media again to air his frustrations and said, quote, he should at least admit he did wrong. If he goes one step further and apologizes to the two servers he insulted, I'll let him eat for free at Balthazar for the next 10 years. Once his show returned from hiatus, Corden addressed everything that happened in, yes, an apologetic five-minute statement. And it seemed like all was well. McNally acknowledged Corden's gracious apology and said the British-born host was welcome back in his restaurant again. So everything was fine, right? Everyone was happy. But then came another interview, this time with the London Times. Corden doubled down on having done nothing wrong again, saying, quote, I mean, it's so odd. I never screamed at anyone. I didn't shout didn't call anyone a name or swear or use derogatory language. How is it remotely a thing? Oh, well, McNally finally had enough. After Corden appeared to renege his apology one more time, the restaurateur made another post to social media that ended with, quote, On second viewing, I found his TV confessional, contrived, and phony. The actor will say anything to save his bacon. In the scheme of things, my opinion means nothing. But after Friday's interview and a second look at his fraudulent confessional, I've given up on James Corden for good. I mean, and the craziest part of all is that in the show, Mammals, the very show that James Corden has been out promoting in these recent interviews, he plays a chef who loses his cool. I mean... Take it away, Alanis. And isn't it ironic? Don't you think? A little too ironic. Earlier this week, NBA player Kyrie Irving became the latest public figure to following Kanye West's anti-Semitic footsteps, sharing content including distasteful comments and viewpoints about the Jewish community. Since the backlash, Irving has been challenged on how he should make it right in order to keep in good standing with the Brooklyn Nets and fans. To help me dissect what all this means for Kyrie, the team he plays for, and the community who's caught in the middle is Emmy Award-winning sports journalist and commentator Kavitha Davidson. Hey, Kavitha, welcome back to the show. Hey, Janine, thanks for having me again. Well, Kyrie Irving is an undeniable talent on the court, but this isn't his first time being in the news for controversial opinions. So set the scene for us on who he is and, and how he's made headlines in the past. Yeah, I mean, Kyrie's always kind of been his own person. He very famously touted some flat earth conspiracy theories. He was anti-vax. He touted some some vaccine conspiracy theories as well. He's also been a great advocate for Black Lives Matter and racial justice in recent years. And, and it, I think that it's it's hard to separate 
those two aspects of him. But I think that especially with this latest controversy that we're seeing, you know, we, we have to be very realistic about the kinds of viewpoints that he is touting. So let's talk about present day. In the wake of Kanye West's hate speech towards the Jewish community, Irving joined the conversation a bit by posting a link to a movie based on a book, Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America, which many believe to be anti-Semitic on his Instagram and Twitter pages last week, and that he has since removed. He addressed this decision to make the post in the first place at a press conference following the outcry. Here's a snippet of what he said. We're in 2022. History is not supposed to be hidden from anybody. And I'm not a divisive person when it comes to religion. I, I embrace all walks of life. You see it on all my platforms. I talk to all races, all cultures, all religions, and my response would be, um, it's not about educating yourself on what Semitism is and what anti-Semitism is. It's really about learning the root words of where these come from and understanding that this is an African heritage that is also belonging to the people. And so now on Wednesday, following his comments, he and the Brooklyn Nets each made $500,000 donations to anti-hate organizations. And in a joint statement with the Nets and Anti-Defamation League, Irving said, quote, I oppose all forms of hatred and oppression and stand strong with the communities that are marginalized and impacted every day. I am aware of the negative impact of my post towards the Jewish community, and I take responsibility. So what do we know about this material that he shared? And do you think Kyrie's donation kind of makes up for it or or not so much, given people are saying this isn't an explicit apology. I have not watched the quote unquote documentary that he shared. Several of my colleagues have taken it upon themselves to do so. I think it's very interesting that it is $50 on Amazon. <laughs> but from the screenshots that I've seen, from reporting from other from my colleagues who have watched a documentary, it is touting some very longstanding, very dangerous, very unfactual notions about Israelites about Hitler being pro-Black people because he believed that um, Blacks were the original inhabitants of Israel. And, and trying to tie those, those two ideas together, there are so many unsourced quotes in this documentary. There is one quote that was completely missourced, which was supposed to be, again, quoting Hitler saying that Blacks were the original Israelites. And that quote never actually came from Hitler. This is propaganda, it's misinformation, it's disinformation, it's everything that we've come to see be very dangerous. Now, as to whether a $500,000 donation makes much of a difference, frankly, I don't, I don't think it does. It covers him from a PR standpoint up to a point. But if you read the statement that clearly he didn't write that came along with it, there's no apology in there whatsoever. There's no acknowledgement that what he shared, the, the documentary that he shared was anti-Semitic. He has come out and said he did not make the film, <laughs> which I don't think anybody thought Kyrie was the, the filmmaker. And he also said something to the effect of, I can't be anti-Semitic because I know where I came from. And to a lot of people, that sounds like confirming or reaffirming the dangerous messages in the documentary to begin with. I think it's also really important to note that the NBA and the NBPA, which is the, the players union, release statements condemning anti-Semitism as well. Kyrie Irving is still a vice president in the union, and that hasn't changed. We have to watch that space to see who exactly he's representing in, in the Players Association. Amidst the Irving controversy, the Knicks have had a chaotic year, to say the least, recently firing head coach Steve Nash, and they're reportedly looking to hire Nia Long's ex, Ime Udoka, 
who's been on leave from the Boston Celtics after his affair with a staff member. Just drama all around. And we've heard the saying, all press is good press. But in this case, is it really? Like the NBA season essentially just kicked off and there is no way this isn't affecting the team, right? Yeah, I mean, the the mess at the Nets doesn't start and end with Kyrie by any means. I think it's been interesting that he has not played well as the season has started, but it is the picture of dysfunction right now on the Nets. You know, I think a lot of people, myself included, thought that the hiring choice of Ime Udoka was very interesting because not only did he have an affair with a woman on his staff, that woman was a subordinate. And the reason that he was suspended was because he used inappropriate and aggressive language before they started what was a consensual relationship. And another thing that I'll bring up with Kyrie that is specific to the Nets is we have to remember that the Nets play in Brooklyn. New York has the largest Jewish diaspora in the world outside of Tel Aviv. So not only is he directly propagating bigotry and notions based in hatred, he is directly insulting his fan base. And I, I, I that can't be smart for the team in any way. The, the Nets owner, Joe Tsai, has come out and condemned these notions and has condemned anti-Semitism. And you saw that display at the recent game where members of the Jewish community bought tickets in the front row, like on the court to show that they will not stand for anti-Semitism and they had the shirts and everything like that. So very, very bad move. <laughs> Absolutely. And Adam Silver, the, the commissioner of the NBA himself, has said that he's disappointed that we haven't seen an actual apology from Kyrie yet. And speaking to that, Adam Silver, he said he's meeting with Kyrie next week and we'll have to see how that pans out. We'll keep up the speed on this as it develops. Kavitha, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Janine. Last but not least, we try not to get too political here on our show. That being said, being a part of the political process is something I personally take very seriously. I brought all of my election and candidate reading materials with me on this trip. And with Tuesday's midterm election right around the corner, we just wanted to give you a friendly reminder to do your homework now. You know, take a little time and research who is on your ballot, what new measures are up for a vote, and of course, make sure you know where your polling place is. That can change election to election. If you live in an area with early voting, use this weekend to get out there to beat the rush on Tuesday. Some folks tend to skip out on the midterm elections, but these are exactly the sort of elections that really matter and shape progress in our country. So vote and vote early if you can. And one other friendly reminder in advance of next week, Monday, Monday night on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, people will reveal this year's sexiest man alive. It's been a good run for our reigning SMA, Paul Rudd. But while I am sworn to secrecy, I can say this year's new man is definitely worthy of the title. Tomorrow, we have a very special show where we take you back in time and behind the scenes of our selection process over the years and reveal who some of our favorite past sexiest men have been and how they were during their reign. All that on tomorrow's show. So until then, enjoy the rest of your day and we'll close out the week tomorrow on People Every Day. <laughs>